Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Good morning, everybody. Or it might be afternoon, it might be evening, but welcome to Moto America's podcast, Off Track with Carruthers and Vice. I'm Paul Carruthers, the communications manager for Moto America. And I'm joined as always by Sean Vice, who's my cohort in, uh, in podcasts and everything else that has to do with, uh, with Moto America and PR, et cetera. So Sean, how are you this morning? Man, I'm great. It's funny how this this one podcast, you know, we do them every week, as we always say, and we've we've been we've never missed one. And they sneak up on us on these ones where we have like one weekend off between race weekends. So um, we, I'm glad we got this one in. We're like a, a day later on recording it than we normally do, but we still got it in. So I'm glad about that. But uh, yeah, everything's good. I mean, I drove back, you know, I drove down to VIR and back. It's about an eight hour trip and it's it's not too bad. I mean, I go through up through West Virginia and through some of the tunnels and, you know, a lot of windy roads and stuff. So it's, it's actually not a bad trip, especially if the weather's pretty good, but you know, it's funny, Paul, on the way back, I mean, you know, I get home so much later than, than you guys do with changing the clocks. And even though you're flying way across country, that part, I do envy a little bit to hear you're home before I am on uh, Mondays, usually on those trips. So that's cool. Yeah. The time change helps a bit when we're flying that way, but then going the other way, obviously we suffer and basically lose we lose an entire day getting there, but yeah, I don't know how you do those drives. I'm, I, I'd be good for like up to five hours. And then after that, it's, it's got to have wings on it for me to want to get in. Yeah. I used to kind of limit it. And, and when I started doing it a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, it's really, it's really not too bad. I mean, it's not bad. And I, I always say, well, I can take my time and stop. Well, I don't, I try to get there <laughs> as quickly as I can. And I, if I have to, you know, I have to stop for gas and I, I don't spend too much time because, you know, I feel like I'm in the cannonball run and I've got to get there in record time or something. So, um, but uh, it's funny, you know, for, for the fans that don't know, you know, a lot of times our group, we stay in a, an Airbnb together and it's, it's fun. We enjoy it, but these guys have usually gotten the groceries because I haven't, I'm driving in later, but this time I said, I got to get the groceries. So I stopped on my way down and that, that was fun when you have a list from a bunch of guys and it's like, you know, Paul, I mean, you have to zigzag back and forth to get everything. Nothing's like all the produce is not in one section on the list. So it's like, oh, I forgot that yellow onion. So I have to go back to the other side of the store, but it's kind of fun shopping for our little group. You know, it's, it, I have a good time with that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you do. Cause I'm always, I always dread it because usually when it's us, it's like four of us together and it's like, it's a bit of a crapshoot in there. Everybody's running different ways and get grabbing what they need. But no, it works out nice. I, it's nice to not go out to dinner. And I think you, uh, no matter what we end up eating, it's 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 a hell of a lot healthier than what it is if we go out to eat. So it's uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's a little bonding and and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, we had a uh, we had a pretty di- a different week this week. You know, with with all the things that went down at. Uh, Gosh, yeah. At VIR with uh, with Danilo Petrucci and and all that stuff, it kind of and I came back to a bunch of stomach punches, kind of, and uh, we had to deal with all that. But uh, it's you know I think things will things will get better. Hopefully, my hope is that that he comes back and and he's okay and we can kind of go forward with things. And you know everybody lives and learns from these kind of things and. Hopefully he, he learns some things and we, I know we've learned some things as well. So 
Yeah. It'll just be nice to put it behind us and get back to racing motorcycles again instead of, you know, instead of a bunch of damage control, et cetera, you know? Yeah. You know, two things that I want to say about that, Paul, and I'm not going to get into the whole controversy, but, uh, and I know you don't know what I'm about to say here, but one of the things that occurred to me is in any given race weekend with practice qualifying and all that, you know, I, I meant to go back and look up how many laps uh, Danilo Petrucci ran at VIR, but it's kind of interesting that that was his final lap, his final time crossing that start finish out of God knows how many laps that guy did over the weekend. And, you know, it's just, it's just weird that he, he was, pro he, he probably had the most knowledge at that point of that final turn. Cause he'd been, you know, that, that final start finish, cause he'd been through it so many times. The other part of it too, that I thought about, and it's kind of lost in this a little bit is the guy was absolutely going for it on that last lap. He's, he was trying to get second. He was not going to settle for third, even though it ended up being that way. And it seemed like a fade out complete that he was going to be third, but he was doing everything he could to get second. So the, what's lost in this a little bit is the guy is a, has a heart of a lion and is an incredible racer and was not going to give up for anything. And of course it, it was his demise in, in many ways, but uh, those were two points that I just wanted to bring up out of all of this stuff that's been talked about. So, yeah, I mean, he's not, he's, you know, he's not a guy that's phoning things in by any means. He, he raced till the finish and, you know, that was, his, it, it was, he saw an opportunity there to try to, to maybe get him at the finish line. And, and then next thing he knows, he's, he's run out of racetrack a little bit there and, and had his accident. And, you know, the whole thing's just a shame. It's, you know, I, I had such high hopes for him and, and him coming to our series and we got so much good publicity out of it early on. And, and, you know, we've, it's, it's a, it's a pretty big bump in the road, but I think we can all recover from it and move forward. He's, you know, I want him to be in our series. I want him to be happy. Um, I, I try, I try to work with him as much as I can. And, you know, there's something that, it, that I don't know what it is, but there's a little something there that I think he's, he's not entirely happy. And, not, and I mean, this was prior to, to what happened on Sunday and I don't know why, but uh, you know, I'd like to, I don't know. We just got to go forward and, and, and get through all this and, and people start to uh, get back to just talking about motorcycle racing instead of the other stuff. But I think we'll be okay. I think every, I, you know, I'm hopeful that he, that he heals up and, and comes back and he's with us at road America and, we can, we can get moving again. Yeah. It was interesting, Paul, that you and I on Thursday sat down with him. We were sitting next to his, uh, his crew chief Maurizio Perlini and he was sitting there and he, we had a delightful conversation with him. He's talking about something that happened to him when he was a lot younger that has, he's got a lifetime scar on one arm, but you know, he was, he was recounting that situation and he was, he was fine. I was talking to him about an upcoming interview that we, we were going to have him do. Um, and it's kind of been put on hold now with a, with a national publication and, you know, until we kind of figure things out, but you know, we went into that weekend it, as usual, he was his usual self on that whole thing. And it's then, then all this other stuff happened, but I, I really, really look forward to getting back to the point where, you know, he can be that guy and we can have that relationship with him and, you know, discuss racing and everything else about his career. So you know all right well let's move on and chat with our with our guest today who's Corey alexander uh cory's season started out perfectly uh with a victory at, in the opening round of the uasa stock 1000 championship at road atlanta he had a hell of a battle with his good buddy michael gilbert and uh beat him by an inch or two there at the line so the season started out really well and then and then things sort of changed a bit at uh at vir with a crash 
um, a bad crash, actually. I mean, anybody who's seen the video is like, wow, that was, that was a big one. Um, and it was nice to see him, to see him, you know, he's not okay. Obviously he's got, a, he's got a concussion and, and et cetera, but it could have been a lot worse. And, you know, luckily there was a lot of air fence there. And I think Corey will, will speak highly of that when we get a chance to talk to him here in a second, but uh, now he finds himself, you know, 38 points behind, uh, he's seventh in the championship, but it's still so early. I mean, it's not, he's obviously, he's got the speed, the experience and the skill to, to, to potentially win the rest of the races. I mean, that's how, that's how good he is. And that's how uh, well he's done in that class previously. So we'll have to see where it goes from here, but, uh, Corey, uh, welcome to, to welcome to our podcast, and and we're really we're extremely happy that you're uh, you're as good as you are at this point. <laughs> that makes two of us, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, tell us a little bit about. We can start. Let's start with the bad, which was obviously VIR. We can talk a little bit about the crash. We can talk a little bit about your recovery, what you have to do to get ready for for Road America. And then we'll back up a little bit and talk about the better news, which was obviously your victory at, uh, at road Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, going into Virginia, obviously we had some momentum behind us and, um, personally it's kind of been a goal of mine to be able to, to push, push everybody else and, and be the guy to kind of set, set the pace and try to get pole and, and just do these things that can kind of put some pressure on the guys that I'm racing with. So that's been a focus of mine this year. So, Going into Saturday morning qualifying, we had already been on provisional pole, but um, Michael and Hayden and, and Jeff had all gone quite a bit faster already. So we were we were pushing to, you know, to get back on top and and or at least you know be comparable to them in, in time. So um, yeah, I mean, basically, I was just pushing. I mean, I I, I kind of I knew I knew I'd probably gotten a little bit aggressive as a as I started to have the moment and I honestly thought I had it saved. I mean, it's kind of a weird spot to have a crash and, um, and, you know, as late as it was to get kind of thrown off the bike, it wasn't, wasn't the result I was expecting out of that. I thought I, I thought I had it under control until I didn't, which is usually how it goes, I guess. Right. But, um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of how that went. And, and obviously I'm very lucky to, you know, one, be supported by great companies like Arai and Alpine stars. I mean, my, my upper body with the airbag going off, I mean, I've got virtually no, no bruises, no pain or anything on my upper body, which is amazing. And, and, um, you know, my lower body got a little bit banged up from hidden foot pegs and the ground and whatnot. But, um, but otherwise, you know, between, between Alpine stars and Arai, I did unfortunately get knocked out. Um, I don't really know for how long, <laughs> but I got knocked out and, and, um, but, you know, in any scenario, it always could be worse, you know, um, I'm here talking. So, um, and then obviously the air fence with road, with road racing world, uh, I can't even imagine if, uh, if that wasn't there. I mean, I think I hit like the last, the last stretch of it. So, you know, fortunately it happened early enough on the exit to where there, there still was some air fence, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I can't imagine, um, uh, if, if that wasn't there and, you know, I, I spoke to, uh, John Ulrich texted me the other day, actually just saying thank you. Cause I put out a, put, put out something on my birthday and I think some people donated, which was amazing to the, to the action fund, uh, which supports getting all the air fence to the races and purchasing it and maintaining it and whatnot. But, um, you know, we, we kind of just talked about 
how, how lucky it was just to, just to have it there. And, and yeah, very fortunate for sure. You know, Corey, um, over that weekend, going, going into the weekend, we, we had n- known that we had deployed some new sections of, of soft barriers at that track. And um, there, I was actually going to write a story about it. And it turned out that when that happened, um, I, it gave me a chance to put a comment on the post of the video. And I talked to John Ulrich about this and said, hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a comment about, you know, clearly the Road Racing World Action Fund helped so much. And then there was a, with the, the soft air barriers, that, soft barriers that are there. I can't say soft air barriers. There's a reason for that. Sometimes they're not air or sometimes they, they have air in them in a different way. There's, so we kind of call them in a generic sense, air, soft barriers. And yep. yeah, and you, you picked up on it too. And there was a story in, in Road Racing World about it. So it gave us a chance to really talk about the benefits of that. And I know all the riders to a man, every single one, a man and a woman, you know, all everybody that races in our series is very appreciative of having that. And it's so much better than it used to be. Um, there is something I want to talk about though. And you and I talked about this on, on uh, Monday when I called you, I was so worked up about this thing that I called you and forgot to wish you a happy birthday. So I had to call back later and make sure I rem- I said that too, but there was a person who is, I'm not even going to call this person a journalist, although I guess he's supposed to be, and I'm not going to say the guy's name, but it's somebody in Europe who had commented that your helmet came off uh, it was and and as bad as the situation was was with Daniel Petrucci, that was way worse because in his mind he said your helmet came off, the strap must have broken, this that and the other thing. And I got in touch with you, and of course there was some time where you can't really account for what went on. We've looked at the video. I've talked to some helmet people. Everybody seems to agree who understands the situation, including you, that your helmet didn't come off because at one, you know, your helmet was on when emergency people came over to see you and it didn't magically fly back on your head and they certainly <laughs> would put it back on your head. I've, I've since learned that most people are able to basically rotate their head 180 degrees. So if you're looking straight forward, you can go about 90 degrees to the left, 90 degrees to the right, give or take. I mean, everybody's got that issue where you get over to the side and you're like, man, my neck hurts. But basic, And then a helmet, a perfectly fitting helmet is going to deflect a little bit more because the cheek pads inside the helmet can compress a little bit. Obviously, when you've got a perfectly fitting helmet and you, you hold your head steady and kind of, you can move it a little bit. It's meant to do that. And in that video, I've looked at it a million times, Corey, in that video, you went into that air, that soft barrier backwards and your body, basically it was at an angle, I think, and you can, you can describe it to us, but it caused your body to spin. It looks like to the right and without the benefit of seeing your body, because your body was kind of in that soft barrier and it was already, it was already absorbing the impact. It looks like your, your helmet went right around and, and I believe I'm, I firmly believe that you weren't looking out your ear hole, as they say, like a football player would. You can't do that. Um, and it certainly didn't come off. So I was pretty upset about that. You and I talked about it. And it was cool because I called Wayne after that, Wayne Rainey, and talked to him a little bit. And Wayne said, well, actually, Corey, there's no better person to be an eyewitness to something than the writer themselves. And he said, and Corey actually commented on that post and I said oh wow he did and he goes yeah and I said oh well that's cool because I talked to him in the morning and so I think I'm not trying to take credit for that Corey but I know you became aware of it and you took the time to go on there and kind of say well listen this is what happened and I had to laugh 
because you said, I think you, I, I'm going to semi quote you on this. I think you said you don't like shit, shitty journalism or whatever. And I said, well, listen, if I ever have shitty journalism, let me know ahead of time. But speak to us about that. I mean, obviously you can't speak for every moment of it, but from what you saw, your helmet. Yeah, I mean, I've tried not to watch it too much, to be honest with you. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I understand. Because uh, I don't remember it. So it's, it's, it's kind of a nice thing by design that I don't remember it, to be honest, because that'd probably be a lot more traumatic. But, um, you know, uh, either way, I did, I did see it a little bit, and it is for sure a bit, a bit um, uh, like an exorcism, you know? <laughs> violent, so. violent. You didn't even believe your head rotated like that. But your body yeah. rotated with it, right? Didn't you, didn't you move to, didn't you spin to the, from right to left because of the angle of that air fence and how you uh, went? Honestly, I didn't analyze it that hard. I do, okay. I do know I was probably, I was probably knocked out before I hit the wall. So I was probably beyond limp, which they say, you know, usually drunk drivers survive the crashes because they're, they're limp, you know? Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure a certain part of that, you know, fortunately or not, maybe being limp also, um, you know, worked in, worked in my favor in terms of not really having any, any severe injury otherwise, you know? So, but, but yeah, and I, I actually, you know, it's kind of the crazy part, just social media and stuff these days, obviously you have the, the downside of it with, with guys like that. Um, taking things out of context, but I was actually able to connect with uh, the corner worker that was in the corner, uh, reached out to me um, on Instagram and just, and just said, you know, she had made a donation actually to their fence fund and how thankful she was to, to see that I was okay and whatnot. But I was able to actually ask her like, what, what, what did you see? And um, you know, cause obviously I didn't think my helmet came off. I have no no damage to my face at all. And I would think hitting, a, uh, you know, anything that quick or whatever the case is, I wasn't dirty. You know, uh, there would have been some kind of effect if my helmet did actually come off, but I didn't, didn't have a way to hundred percent verify until I spoke with her. And, and she said, yeah, she actually, she was actually arguing with me to not take my helmet off. And I, I, I guess my stubbornness, uh, you know, <laughs> persevered, uh, even, even in, in, in a concussed state. So, um, yeah, I, I actually took my helmet off. Um, which probably wasn't a good idea considering how my neck could have been, could have been uh, more severely damaged, but I don't remember it. So in other words, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, so that's interesting. So you took your helmet off. Obviously the strap was intact. That was the other part of it. Speculating that the strap broke and all this kind of stuff, which kind of goes to, you know, some things about the quality of the helmet. And I know the helmet wear is extremely, an extremely good helmet. And so many riders wear that brand in our paddock and worldwide that I don't have any doubt about the quality of that helmet or what it did. And, and that's good to hear that that corner worker knew that. And I mean, they, they know, those guys know there are procedures anyway, you guys have, well, talk, tell us about this other thing, Corey, don't you have some kind of these things where you have, you can pull out the cheek pads to carefully remove the helmet um, if they do it? Yeah, there's, um, there's like, uh, I forgot what the exact name of it is, but there's these little orange things on, on the arise that um, allow medical workers to, to do exactly what you said to be able to remove it in, a, in the event that they need to carefully, you know, yep. um, I would imagine me being me, I probably just ripped it off like I normally would. So, <laughs> but, uh, but either way, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to not remember the you know, impact on that stuff because it probably would have been a lot more scary. And um, and definitely, like I said, thankful to the air fence and, and obviously the corner workers and everybody. And, um, you know, to, to my knowledge, it, the, the whole thing was about as smooth as it could have gone from a, from a safety perspective, contrary to, you know, somebody else's kind of experience 
with uh, with what went on 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 Sunday. But um, yeah, I was to the hospital, CT scans, and back to the track by by 5 p.m. 4 p.m. Um, on Saturday. So I think it all all went pretty well considering, you know. Did you, Corey? Did you when you did get back to the track? Did you? Did you try to talk your way into racing with, with your team and they talked you out of it? Or, or at that point, did you kind of realize that it wasn't a good thing to even think about? <laughs> no, no, I watched the, I watched my race from the, from the hospital. Um, I wasn't back that early, but, but, you know, I definitely. The following the next day. Yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, I mean, the, that the day of, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll feel you know, feel better. I mean, I haven't, I actually fortunately haven't had any concussions as an adult. I had one when I was a lot younger. Um, so I don't really don't have much experience with concussions and kind of knowing how I react to them and not that everyone is the same either way, but, um, you know, some part of me was hoping I would wake up Sunday morning and basically be hundred percent fine. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, you know, I thought I, I thought I was until I got out of bed, and I realized that I wasn't at all. So, I'm still I'm still struggling a little bit with it, and and doing everything I can to try to try to you know get rid of the symptoms, uh, just slow moving and uh, a little bit forgetful and things like that. So, just trying to trying to do everything I possibly can uh, to to move beyond that. But yeah, I, I it wasn't really an option. Um, obviously, I, I my uncle runs our team <laughs> with me, um, so. Um, it's a little bit more personal than, than just being like a, you know, riding for a team and having a boss type of thing. You know, he's got a, a lot more of a, a personal touch on everything. So yeah, he, there was no way he was going to let me ride it and, and wouldn't let me ride at the test either. Um, uh, this past Tuesday, Wednesday at, at Pittsburgh, which, you know, I mean, I know myself well enough that I, I, I wouldn't have been able to ride. I still can't, I mean, I can still, I'm just starting to be able to ride in the car without having like, weird things go on so um yeah, there's no point yeah, I, I definitely want to put myself in a position to uh to race that's for sure well as you're watching those two races you're probably thinking okay other than hayden gillum i mean everybody just made a mess of it so to speak um <laughs> especially our good buddy michael gilbert i mean I, I texted his mechanic Josh and I can do this because I know Michael well enough and we ride bicycles and stuff together. But I said, Hey Josh, I'm just checking to make sure his plane didn't crash. Cause he crashed everything else that weekend, but oh my God, <laughs> he enjoyed it, but I'm sure Michael won't, but I haven't talked to him yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, these guys just uh, everybody had some issues that kind of, uh, you know, other than Hayden Gillum, you know, you're by no means out of this thing. And it's always better to have these things happen early in the year than it is later in the year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the one, the one downside to the stock, the stock 1000 class is that we, we don't have double headers every weekend. So while there's, you know, I guess eight rounds left, seven rounds left, um, you know, there's really only like, uh, 10 races or nine races. So it's not, not as much, not as long of a calendar left as, as it would be if I was in Superbike or something like that. There's not as many opportunities to gain points back. So, um, definitely have to be, you know, aggressive and, and, and also, you know, smart and how we try to try to mitigate that, that points gap for sure. But, you know, for me, honestly, I was sitting there kind of rooting for Michael and, and Travis, cause I know for me personally, you know, Hayden, Hayden's kind of my, my main focus for the year. And so without those guys that are putting any pressure on him, it makes his life really easy. So I was a little bit disappointed, you know, obviously I'm, I'm rooting for Mikey anyway, just cause he's my, my buddy, but, 
um, you know, to, to see Hayden be able to ride off into the sunset both races was a little bit, a little bit tough. And I, and, you know, I know if we were there, we would have had the pace to been able to do something. So, um, same thing with Travis. I mean, Travis, I think before the red flag on, I think it was Sunday, was there a red flag or Saturday? One of the two races, it seemed like he had the pace to be able to go out and win it and then just couldn't, couldn't get it together for, um, for the end of the race. But, um, you know, it, that, that's racing, I guess. Right. Yeah. Boy, Corey, you brought up a really good point about stock 1000 and, and it's something I need to continually remind myself of because on Sunday morning, we had done an interview with your uncle, Richie Alexander, who is the manager of that side of the team, Tyler Cycle, Ride HBMC Racing, and that part of that team, and it's a four rider team altogether, but I'm talking about your side, which is obviously you and Travis Wyman on BMW M1000RRs. And one of the things that, that Richie sort of underscored to me when I talked to him is the superbike racing in superbike, which you guys are not doing superbike cup. You're actually doing true superbike on those bikes that are stock 1000 bikes. But that's really, he says, for all intents and purposes to give you a little bit more seat time out there and see what you can do. But the focus is absolutely stock 1000. It's the stock 1000 championship. And to your point, it's not two races every weekend. So every, well, the, every race in any class counts, but for you, sure, you guys, you have a fairly compressed schedule, but is, is that accurate? What Richie's saying that, you know, you, you you go for it and do what you can in Superbike, but it's stock 1000 that you have your eyes on more than anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously we're not going to go out and win the Superbike championship. Um, and, you know, winning, winning races is great or, you know, getting top fives or top sevens in Superbike is great. But at the end of the day, the championship is kind of what we're after. So um, definitely for me personally, I think we have a better bike than we've had the last couple of years. So um, I feel a little bit more competitive in Superbike, uh, which is nice to be able to go out and and learn a little bit and, and be a little bit closer to the, to the Superbike guys to, you know, I, I think for me, like if I can go out and ride around and ride behind Richie Escalante or Jake Lewis or Hector and PJ and just pick up one or two things in a lap and I can carry that over to super, super stock, um, you know, it just makes me, makes me better there too. And, and better as a rider, you know, and obviously I'm trying to still learning every time I ride. So um, that's, that for me is the focus, obviously, you know, the backside of it as a team, you know, there, there's a lot more, um, reasons why we're, why we're running Superbike uh, to make it make sense, you know, for, for, our, for our structure and, uh, program financially and things like that. So there's, there's kind of a multitude of it, but yeah, Superstock is our, is our focus and, and Superbike is kind of just a, just an added, like he said, seat time and, and time to learn. You know, I want to talk about the team structure a little bit. This is quite a, you got to be proud of this. This is quite a thing to see. And for the fans that have been to our races or the fans that are going to be coming to our races or should be coming to our races, it's quite a sight in our paddock to see that there are two transporters side by side. There is a Titler cycle racing transporter that is what Hector Barbara um, and, uh, I can't think. Oh, PJ Jacobson. Sorry, my goodness. I lost it there for a minute. Underneath their part of the trans, their canopy. And then right next door is Travis and Corey under the Titler Cycle Ride HV MC Racing. And as we mentioned, your uncle Richie Alexander is team manager of the one side. Uh, Dave Weaver is manager of the other side, and he does some crew chiefing, and obviously Richie does as well. And it's it's four riders and it's two transporters. Oh, 
I'm and Zach Zach Schumacher too. Sorry, yep. Corey. Yeah, <laughs> Zach, who I want to make sure I mention because Zach is from Wisconsin and his home track is coming up at uh, Elkhart Lake, Lake Wisconsin um, at uh, Road America. And I, I, sorry, Zach, I I don't know why I do this to you. <laughs> I got to get to know you a little better. We talked a little bit at the track on uh, on Sunday, but it's five riders. Um, and it's, it's a very impressive setup and they've got some news that's coming up at, uh, for road America. And I'm not going to give it away, Corey, you know, I wanted to write a story on it. I talked to you yesterday and on top of everything else you did, you managed the PR for that team. I don't think I'm going to get you to be able to announce it right now. Um, you said you're going to put something out probably on Tuesday this week, but, um, let me ask you, I mean, can, are you going to, are you going to reveal it right now for us? Or are you going to hold off on that? <laughs> no, I'll probably, I'll probably let the release come out first and get everybody uh, a little bit excited, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a cool, uh, it's a cool name to have on board. Somebody with a lot of, a lot, a lot of experience and pedigree. And um, honestly, he was, uh, he was very important to really sparking the interest of, of Michael Kiley, uh, who, who is the owner of Tyler cycle to, to get us to where we're at, you know, I mean, um, it doesn't just happen out of nowhere, you know, somebody has got to spark that interest. And, and this guy was a big, big part of that. So yeah, excited, excited to announce that. I think there'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, I don't know how to say it play. A lot of the older, older fans of, of racing will be excited to see who's coming back. Well, that's an awesome tease that you just gave it. That's even more than I thought you'd give away. So, so he's there's that. that. To look What's that, Paul? He's not that concussed. You thought you, you thought you could tease him into blurting out the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did more than I thought, though. But, but anyway, so yeah, that's that's news to come next week, and that's exciting to hear. But as as it stands now, five riders on that team, um, and as I said, you guys race in both you you and uh, Travis, and well, Zach, Zach races in in Superbike as well correct so he does uh he does superbike cup um okay you know, primarily stock 1000 superbike cup is is um is you know something he also participates in and then yeah travis and i run both classes and then the superbike guys obviously are just in superbike yeah and your bike i, I want to talk about this m1000rr it's it's a pretty incredible bike i mean it's it's got the wings on it. It's, it's a cool looking bike. I mean, it's obviously being raced in world Superbike, and there's a couple iterations of it. Um, you know, there's a true full on super bike that has a little bit more that you can do with it. Um, yours is a, uh, as, I, as I understand it, a stock 1000 spec bike that you race in Superbike, which can be done. It's no problem with it. There's a few more things you can, you can do to them. Um, but, uh, it, uh, the bike, the bike is pretty incredible in its street bike form. They just put out an, a special M, um, well, it's an M edition bike. So it's basically like the M3, the M5 cars, the BMW cars that are out there. They're the performance oriented versions of their, their cars. And this is the first M performance oriented edition of the motorcycles. And they actually just did an anniversary one to uh, mark the, uh, I can't remember what exact anniversary it was, but of that M class of cars and this motorcycle. So they've got one now, I think it's yellow or something, but they've had the bike out for a little while and you're on this bike. It's a street bike. It's a stock 1000 bike. It's a super bike. It's all things. It's got carbon fiber bodywork. It's it's pretty darn incredible. And those BMWs are known for some pretty, pretty amazing power on them. And, you know, talk about the bike a little bit and, and give us a little bit of the difference with, with regard to the Superbike versus what you're actually riding in Superbike and Stock 1000. Yeah. So um, basically 
you know, we have a, we have a technical partnership with Alpha, uh, Alpha Racing, which is, you know, BMW Motorrad's kind of uh, racing retail outlet, if you will. They don't, you know, they, BMW corporate doesn't sell race parts and race bikes and whatnot. So Alpha is their, their independent kind of partner for that. Um, so we, you know, when we set out to do this whole thing, you know, if you, if you were going to go out and develop your own bike, you'd be kind of crazy to try to do it in the time frame that we did it. Um, so we looked to Alpha, for example, to partner with. So our bikes are Alpha's stock 1000 spec bike, which, you know, Sean or Paul, you guys could go and order online right now if you wanted to, our, our exact bike more or less uh, from Alpha and it'll arrive in a crate from Germany. Um, with shipping right now, I, I can't guarantee how quickly it'll come, but, uh, <laughs> but, you, but you can do that. Um, so nonetheless, that's kind of our, our spec of bike. What that, what that is, is, you know, obviously we've got to change some things for, for Moto America rules from, from some of the other series in the world at, at the stock level, but generally speaking, it's, it's very, very much, you know, a stock bike as it comes from BMW with a, with a kit electronic system, uh, meaning we, we swap out the, or alpha rather swaps out the stock wiring harness for a race wiring harness, um, the stock dash for a race dash. We opted to not use the carbon wheels, which come on the bike. Um, it's a bit of a funny thing, but you know, generally speaking, worldwide, you're not allowed to use carbon wheels. But yes. uh, in Moto America, actually, we could have, which is a bit weird. Um, but we opted not to, so we run um, uh, Dimag wheels, which is a partner of ours, and and they make a, a aftermarket wheel that fits within Moto America's new price cap for the stock class. So I think they're. You know, uh, I don't remember the exact limit, but they're they're beneath that, and they're really nice wheels. So um, that's probably the the, the biggest change uh, for for the bike is we're running a different wheel set than than what they come with. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise it's very close to stock. Obviously, we have a shock and and fork internals and whatnot. But the the main the main bones of the bike, if you will, are are stock. Um, and as you would buy from, from alpha, we have a few different partners that we change some of the parts out for, but generally speaking, it's all, all what you can get from alpha. And then the super bikes, um, you know, they obviously have the ability to change a lot more. So they, they have different forks, you know, actual fork tubes, not just internals. They have different, better brake, um, calipers, which we can't change. Um, they can do triple clamps so they can adjust the offsets, um, and then obviously the swing arm is the other big, big change that they can do that we can't, which allows them to do a lot more adjustability with swing arm angles and pivots and, and all kinds of things to just try to get a little bit more grip and things with the bike. Um, and then beyond that, their electronics are open so they can do things like uh, sectoring, which, you know, gives you the ability to, you know, pick parts of the track where you uh, might want different things to happen with the electronics and so on and so forth. Whereas, you know, we're, we're not able to do that in stock 1000. We're kind of just stuck with, with the parameters of what the bike offers with the stock kit electronics. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the gist of it. They're definitely um, quite a bit different, but, you know, similar in a lot of ways, obviously the super bikes too can have um, more upgraded motors, which, you know, the, the stock BMW motors are, pretty unreal with how much power they have. That's probably been the biggest thing for me, uh, just with my size and the Kawasaki, I think I was at a pretty big deficit. Um, or now on the BMW, I, I, I'm not having to make up everything I lost on a straightaway for the rest of the track. I can actually 
you know, just, just ride and not have to make that up all the time. So that, that's been a big, a big help for me personally, is just having a little bit more horsepower. Well, as Sean mentioned, the team is, is, is impressive. I mean, I, you know, I walk by there all the time, obviously, and, and you see those two big semis and you see all the bikes and the crew and everything looks good. And I have, I have yet to have the opportunity to meet Michael Kylie, but I will do so at the next round. It's important, you know, we all want when these new, when these new teams come in, we all, I think collectively the paddock wants them to do well because it, you know, it keeps whoever's spending the money inspired. It keeps them happy. And they're obviously in racing because they want to win. To me, the Kyle, to me, you winning at road Atlanta and Kyle Wyman finishing third in Superbike, I mean, that must've just like, maybe I know what you're more, you're more involved with the team than just as being a, a racer. I mean, that has to have been like, Oh, cool. Like this is, you know, we, we had a good weekend and, and, and the team owner is going to be happy and we can build on this. Is that, is that how that worked? I mean, that had to have been a pretty amazing weekend for him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think everybody was very excited. Um, Michael's a very, very, very smart guy. Um, and so he's, he's realistic and, and his expectations, um, he, he didn't, didn't assume he was going to come into this and, and win it all kind of thing. You know I mean? He, he knows, he knows, um, the reality of racing and, and obviously the hurdles of a new team and, and really a new, a new bike at the level we're trying to run it at, you know? Um, so yeah, for sure. It was, it was definitely exciting to, to get the result. I mean, I think on the stock side of things, we, that's what we expect. I mean, um, the, to have a, an effort, the size of the effort we have with, uh, with the machinery we have and the people we have working for us and so on and so forth. And then obviously, you know, I've, I've had some success in the class. Travis has had a lot of success in the class. You know, we expect to win, mm -hmm. uh, for Superbike. you know, I think the podium with Kyle, obviously Kyle filling in in itself was unexpected and that whole series of events, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think it was, it was good. It was just, it was, it made it feel possible, especially on the Superbike side of things that, you know, we're on the right track and things are moving forward. Um, with that being said, obviously there's always a little bit of a, you know, once you get that first one, you kind of expect it regularly and, right. you know, um, but I think everybody kind of knows that that's not the reality of it. And those guys up front with, with, uh, you know, Jake and, and uh, Cam and obviously Danilo and those guys are, you know, they're just going to be tough no matter what you could be on the best bike and, and you're still, still going to have to work really hard to beat, beat those guys. So I think, uh, I think everybody's pretty realistic and, but yeah, for sure, you know, for me, from what I, what I have to do on the team side of things is really just doing everything we can to see how we can grow it into something that's sustainable. You know, obviously, um, Michael's come in with his, his partners and, and whatnot to, to make this possible, but, you know, from a longevity standpoint, um, we've got to, we've got to work to find other sponsors and things like that. So that's kind of what we're looking at. And obviously results are a big part of that, but you know, results aren't everything anymore. So there's, there's a lot more to behind the scenes and off the track that we're, you know, just trying to be creative with and see how we can attract outside people to kind of look at this as a, an avenue to advertise and that kind of thing. You know, Corey, since we haven't had you on this podcast before, and it's a amazing that we haven't after this much time and I, I I'm embarrassed and regret that a little bit I honestly but I do want to talk about your career one of the things I've kind of 
forgotten a little bit, but I was quite aware of it a few years ago, is you had started in our series prior to Moto America, actually, and did really well. Um, and then you went on a hiatus for a while. You did flat track and all kinds of stuff. And it, it's almost hard to believe for me to think back now that you had that hiatus in between because it, it, it seems like you've been racing with us all along. And I mean, you've obviously done so many things in the great things in the Moto America class. I mean, when you look back at that, do you, it didn't seem like it had an adverse effect on your racing career to be away for a while. In fact, maybe it, maybe it helped you. I don't know. Maybe being in flat track or, you know, you have a, you have a real good understanding of management of, of a team. And clearly it seems like in the future, way down the road, when you've decided you're not going to race anymore, you're still going to be involved in, in racing in some way. So looking back at that time period, do you, do you think it was helpful for you? I mean, I think there was a time there where, you know, it was like, geez, you might not be racing anymore. And, and, and now it's almost inconceivable that that, that was the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I actually, you know, uh, my birthday obviously was Monday. Um, and so I'm 28 now, which, you know, in my mind is old because of how long I've been racing and, you know, the kids I'm racing against now, I get kids like, you know, Brandon Pash or whatever that are, I don't know how old he is. He acts like he's 10. So it's hard to say, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, um, you know, I I was thinking about that and kind of just like, you know, in some ways, obviously, um, appreciative to be where I'm at and and still be able to do this. But I do, I do often wonder, you know, those few years that were probably kind of my prime prime years, you know, to really potentially grow and take, take steps up the ladder in terms of, um, career-wise I guess if you will in in the series um and I kind of had to start over again from from stock 1000 that's where I've been you know obviously I'd I'd love to be on a top superbike ride or whatever the case is but um so but yeah I mean I think I think for sure it was a little bit of a reality check you know kind of had to work at the dealership here in New York for for a couple years and literally do a nine to nine to six every day kind of thing and and go home and repeat and kind of just feel what that felt like, which isn't fun. (laughs) Um, and then also, you know, when I was younger racing, uh, I had my uncle and I was fortunate enough to be kind of put into some really, really good opportunities because of him and his, uh, his work with the Michael Jordan motorsports back when that was around. And, you know, I was able to do really well when I was young, but, uh, that was also, you know, when, around that time when Moto America kind of changed hands and, and took over, um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. So, you know, when, when the Michael Jordan thing went away and my uncle wasn't, wasn't working in the series anymore and whatnot, it was kind of like, all right, well, this is, uh, this is it. <laughs> so, and he was kind of the same way. He went back home to work at the dealership and focus on building our business at home with our family and whatnot. And, you know, obviously I still wanted to race. So it was kind of like, I had to figure it out myself and, and, uh, flat track seemed like an interesting opportunity, <laughs> I guess, if you will. Um, looking back at it now, I can't believe I actually did it. You know, I like literally just like sold my car and bought a, bought a Chevy express van, like every other flat track racer and, um, had a really good, you know, personal sponsor of mine that, that really, honestly, I mean, he was giving me a place to live. He, he gave me a, a bike to, to ride and a little bit of help and, when did flat track with, with, uh, with Rispoli for the, for the year and a half and had some, had some really, really, really good times. I did really, really bad. I was really awful at flat track and, 
Um, <laughs> but, but it did, it made me a lot better of a rider and it made me a lot more, um, I think hungry in a way to, to figure out how to do it on my own, you know? And so, yeah, that, that kind of led into coming back and just doing three rounds with, with Moto America, I guess now that was 20, uh, 2019, the end of 2019. And we got like, I think three podiums, which was like, which was crazy, you know, and obviously the series has continued to grow and elevate and the class has gotten stronger. I mean, we're breaking lap records right now that seemed unbreakable last year. So, um, yeah, excited, excited to be where I'm at, but for sure those, those three years, I think, like I said, we're, we're really, really strong in terms of learning and growing as a, as a person and an adult and things like that, but also, you know, in some ways frustrating because those were valuable kind of years, I think in my, my career of racing now that I'm an old guy. <laughs> well, I mean, heck, I don't, I, I certainly don't think of you as being an old guy. I still, still think you have a lot of upside, but I want to give you a chance to talk about the family's dealership a little bit. You mentioned you would work there and I, I actually don't know the answer to this, Corey. I know you were, it, you were there doing that nine to five or whatever your hours were. That's Hudson Valley motorcycle. It's in Carmel, New York, correct? Is that, is that exactly where it is or is it um, Austin, New York, actually, we're in, we're in Westchester County. Uh, okay. Carmel is where I grew up. Um, Carmel, when I, was, okay. when I was younger, yeah. But uh, but yeah, the dealerships here in Austin, which is uh, if you ever heard of, if you ever watched like Law and Order, Sing Sing Prison, that's uh, yes. that's the same town. <laughs> yeah, we're in Austin, New York. It's uh, it's like thirty miles north of the Manhattan. And it's a, and it's a multi it's a multi line dealership, family run for a long, long time. Um, aren't you guys the oldest? Uh, you're the oldest dealership for one brand. I can't remember which one. Yeah, we don't name that brand anymore. They didn't want oh. to support us. Uh, okay, so we well, I won't we say. Don't, we don't talk about it. All right, no. well, I won't say. <laughs> just that kidding. just proves you guys have been around for a long time. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. Yeah, oh. no, we're, we're the oldest Kawasaki dealer uh, in existence, I believe. Um, we, we actually started... We actually started with Kawasaki before Kawasaki started with Kawasaki. Believe it or not, we we started selling Kawasaki's before Kawasaki USA was was incorporated um, in, in 1966. So yeah, we've been around a long, long time uh, with Kawasaki and Suzuki too, actually. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're Kawasaki, Suzuki, and Ducati, and as well as Energica, which is the that electric bike brand they race in Moto E. So are you are you able? Well, do you, do you still do any, um, do you still work at the dealership at all? I guess is what I'm struggling <laughs> to ask you. Yeah. I mean, I, I do a lot of the marketing stuff. It's been, I mean, uh, honestly, COVID has been so crazy from, uh, for, for our industry, um, that, uh, we haven't had to do any marketing. We don't have anything to sell hardly. So there's nothing to market. Um, we can't keep stuff in stock. So, um, you know, fortunately that's worked out at the time, at the same time I've had to kind of take this whole new project with with titlers and trying to grow the team and whatnot so i i live uh, less than a mile from the dealership so i'm there still every day but yeah i'm not i'm not necessarily working like i was i was i was actually me and my dad were selling bikes for for two years so it was just me and him <laughs> um so i'm not doing that anymore i'm not selling bikes myself i'm not the sales guy but i i still i still am there and still you know doing everything i can to try to you know, grow the business and in any way that we can, you know. 
Yeah, it's, it's cool. That, I'm partial to it, Paul, because I mean, you know, I always, I always tell this story, but you know, growing up in New York, a long, long way from where Corey's from, though, about as far away as you can get and still be in the same state. But anybody from New York, I, I always gravitate towards them quite a bit. And that's how I feel about the Alexanders. And, you know, to mention, just quickly to mention Corey's uncle, Richie Alexander. I mean, to me, the guy's, the guy's one of I just have a revered place in my heart for him because he won a championship years ago. I remember on a Yamaha, Paul, you, you should mention, I mean, the connection he on a Suzuki. Well, right. But he did win a, he did win a Yamaha championship. I'm pretty sure. Didn't he Corey? No, he won the 98 super sport championship, um, 750 super sport on, um, on a, on a Suzuki. And then, um, he raced the Yamaha, I think in like, Oh, one, like one yes. of his last seasons, but he never, he never won, uh, never won a championship. I think maybe a podium with, with, with the Yamaha, but by that time he had, he had gotten um, pretty run down by Lyme disease. So he, he that was right, right when he retired. That's right. My God, Paul, I've been humbled by that. Hey, but Paul quickly talk about Richie and your, uh, your connection to him. Just so Pete, the fans. Well, my, my dad worked with him when they were at Chaparral, um, which were Suzuki's Damon Buckmaster and, and Richie and, Tom Kip and they ran a few guys through there and, and Richie was, I think there the entire time, I think it was two or three years, but uh, no, I think that's why Richie's so smart. I think he, uh, he, learned <laughs> from my, he learned from my dad how to, how to do this thing, but it worked out really well. And my dad always talks about him and, and well, I can, I can tell him now that my dad said hello. So yeah, it's, it's, it's always nice to see Richie. I don't get to talk to him as much. He's always busy and I'm busy and stuff, but we, we all always have that connection and, and now it's nice to see uh, Corey do as well as he is, and and we'll let him go at this point. But Corey, we just we're, we're glad you're okay. And just I mean I can't I'm not a doctor, but I would I would recommend getting as much rest as you can and and let that thing clear out a little bit. And and hopefully you're uh, you're good to go here next week at Road America and uh, and can turn things around and, and get back to where you were. Yeah, no, I appreciate that doing as much as I can. I've got some avocado toast sitting in front of me right now. So um, I'm eating all the green stuff. <laughs> yeah. Anything that's green, just eat, eat, eat. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. I've been, wow. been trying. And I, <laughs> I also heard you like, if you blend carrots and drink yeah. carrot juice, but I'm not, I'm not, I think green sounds better, but <laughs> at this point, try anything, right? I'll try anything. Yeah. I'll try anything. Try anything twice. If I like it, maybe three times, you know, <laughs> are you going to try to sell us something, Sean? Yeah. But I was going to say, man, if this podcast is any indication, you know, Corey, you're at, you're at the tap of your game. Uh, you got your memory going. You, you even invoked some uh, memories about your, your uncle and under, you know, I didn't, we didn't catch you not understanding hardly anything. I'm the one that didn't remember your teammate, Zach Schumacher. So uh, that was kind of my sweet <laughs> and, I probably hit my head every day and don't even realize it. But uh, anyway, I bang my head against the wall sometimes, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> so, um, let me, uh, let me, and I don't mean to make light of that, by the way, folks, but uh, let me, let me end this by saying a couple things, you know, obviously we've got a round come our next round coming up at road America or road America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Um, Corey is going to be there. We're going to have King of the Baggers there. Corey's got a big announcement on Tuesday about his team. Of course, we're also having mini cup there. 
um, build train races there. So we, we've, we've got a lot of stuff going on at that round and it's, it's a favorite of ours to go up there. I'm going to, I'm going to drive up there. It's about the same distance there as it is to VIR. And I don't mind that trip either going up, uh, just going through Chicago is a little bit ridiculous, but, uh, once, once I get past there, it's good. I want to mention real quickly, um, and this has kind of come to light. It's something I I've tried to focus on and push on this podcast several times before, but we have a great corner worker, corner marshal system in our uh, paddock, but it's a lot of it's volunteer. And we rely on David Hawley, who was our, our chief steward, our, I'm sorry, our chief corner marshal. I shouldn't say steward. Those are the guys that are up in race control. He, he's been doing this for a long time. He's got experience in GP and MotoGP, and he runs the whole show. He works with the volunteer system. And you'll see after every race, the riders, including Corey, will, will wave to the corner workers because they really appreciate those guys and, and what they do. And, and as Corey told us in the beginning of this podcast, the corner worker came and, and talked to him and, and uh, you know, made sure he was okay. And they're really the first point of contact a lot of times when a rider goes down. But from the point of view of a corner worker, I always say this, it's the best seat in the house. I mean, you can't get a better seat closer up to the actions there. So if you're really into racing and you want to kind of get actually sometimes be able to touch these motorcycles, which sometimes is under bad circumstances after they've crashed, but you can provide a very vital part to what we do in Moto America. Um, like I said, it is, it is mostly a volunteer system. Sometimes there are some paying situations, but all you need to do is go on to Moto America Volunteers, which is a, a, a Facebook page, and you can contact David Hawley, dhawley at motoamerica.com to be a corner worker at our upcoming rounds. Hopefully there are ones near you, but it's, it's well worth it. You get into the track, you get, like I said, the best seat in the house, you get to uh, have some great meals. Um, our hospitality does a really good job and it's just, it's a, it's a really important part of our series. And I think it, that our, our corner workers get a lot out of it as well. So I've kind of rambled for a while about it, but it's that important to mention it. And I, I just want to say that, and I know, I know Corey can underscore the importance of corner workers, um, especially after recent events with him, but uh, so please get involved in that. It's terrific. And thanks. Thanks Corey again for being on with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. That wasn't long winded. I've heard worse. Sometimes <laughs> daily. <laughs> all right, you guys have a uh, have a nice long weekend, and then we'll see you all next week. All right, see you guys. Bye.